May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning. And may the words from my mouth be just what we need to hear. As soon as I get another drink of water. I think this could be Larry's fault that my throat hurts a little bit. He's kind of had me busy defending the Packers all morning downstairs. He and Bill Bender. No sympathy from none of you. I want to read for you as an introduction something called a pessimist thoughts on Psalm 23. Psalm 23 being something that uh, a passage of scripture that's very familiar to all of us. The author of this is listed as Ima Weiner. I don't think that's really the author's real name. I thought this might be a good way, though, to begin thinking about today's reading. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Shall not want? Give me a break. I want lots of things. I'd like to have a better house, a better job, a pay raise. I want people to do what I say, when I say. And I wouldn't mind winning the lottery either. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. I have a problem with those words, makes me. That sounds a little bit legalistic to me. First you say I can't want things. Now you're making me do things. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. I don't want to be guided down any paths of righteousness. I prefer the more scenic route. How about leading me to Hawaii for a change? What about Vegas? I'm getting a little tired of the paths of righteousness. The next thing you know, you'll be leading me through a dark valley. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. What am I doing walking through the valley of the shadow of death? I thought I was supposed to be lying down in green pastures. Did you take a wrong turn or what? And you call yourself a shepherd? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. To tell you the truth, a rod and a staff are not my idea of comfort. A rod and reel, maybe. A back massage would even be good. Skip the rod and staff, please. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Great. Out of all the restaurants in the world, you choose the one where my enemies eat. I'm sure I'll relish every bite of that meal. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. I don't want any oil on my head. I prefer shampoo. And for goodness sake, can't you stop pouring before the cup overflows? What kind of waiter are you anyway? How would you like to have hot coffee spilled all over your hand? Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't want to be confined to a house forever. That sounds like prison. It might be nice to step outside every thousand years or so. I will never understand, says I'm a whiner, why so many people love the 23rd Psalm. It's interesting how many references there are in the scriptures to sheep and shepherds. And today's lesson in the Gospel of Luke is one of those. Jesus says, which one of you, if you had a hundred sheep and one disappeared, would leave the 99 in the wilderness 
and go after the one that's lost until he finds it. And then when he finds it, he carries it home and rejoices when he gets home. Beautiful. Touching, right? But when a realist like me thinks about this, it sounds a little bit absurd. Why? Well, why would you... Let's put it this way. There's a gospel hymn that goes like this. There were ninety and nine who safely lay in the shelter of the fold. Safely lay in the shelter of the fold. Hmm. That is not what Jesus just said. He said, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? Where did he leave them? He left them in the wilderness. That adds a little bit of an edge to the story that I don't think we should miss. A hundred sheep is a good-sized flock. The shepherd still has 99 of them. Only one is gone. But apparently that sheep is pretty valuable. That sheep is so valuable to him that he's willing to risk leaving the other 99 and going out and not just leaving them in a safe place where somebody's going to babysit them, but leaving them in the wilderness to take care of themselves for a bit while he goes out to find the one who is missing. Leaving in them where they're vulnerable to predators just to find this one who wandered off. That sheep is so valuable that when he gets home with him, he calls them all together. He calls his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice, I found my sheep that was lost. That is one valuable sheep, I would say. But we know that Jesus is not talking about sheep at all. Jesus is talking about people. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one who repents than over 99 righteous. Where did he leave the 99? He left them in the wilderness. Sheep, I'm told, are not too bright. I've read that sheep get lost by putting their head down and nibbling away at the grass and not looking up and paying attention to where the other sheep are or where they are. And people are like that. Tell me that you have never been nibbling along one day and all of a sudden you look up and you think, how the heck did I get here? Some of us who are middle-aged and older have that problem more often than others. And sheep are also born followers. They will follow you anywhere. There was a lady named Mary Alice Dias of Phoenix, Arizona, and she wrote to a magazine with a story about her pet lamb, Beatrice. One day Beatrice broke out of her pen 
And she led the neighbor's sheep out of their field, and they were all headed right toward a busy intersection, and all these sheep were following right behind Beatrice, not having a clue where they were going, just following along with her. They kept trotting along right toward the street. And in desperation, Mary Alice, from her own property, could think of nothing else to do except to yell, Did I wake you up? She did that at the top of her lungs. Beatrice stopped, turned around and looked, and came right back to her own field. And all of those sheep that were following her followed her right back to her own home. Just mindlessly followed. They were going to follow her to their death. Now they followed her back to safety. A new school teacher in a farming community asked her class, if there were 12 sheep in a field and one jumped over the fence, how many would be left? One little boy spoke up and said, none. The teacher said, you don't know math very well. The little boy said, no ma'am, I don't, but I know sheep. Sheep are followers. And sometimes they're not too wise about who they choose to follow. And that's true also of people. There were two pictures together on the front page of a local newspaper in Georgia not too long ago. One picture was of the city council and the mayor sitting in a meeting. The other picture was of a flock of sheep. Now unintentionally, the captions got reversed. Under the picture of the sheep, the caption identified them as the alderman and the town manager. And then under the picture of the distinguished leaders of the community, the caption read like this. The sheep, naive and vulnerable, huddle for security against the uncertainties of the outside world. That's what sheep do. Let's face it. You and I are sometimes like sheep. We nibble and nibble and we don't pay attention to what we're doing or where we're going. And pretty soon we look up and we find ourselves in a situation that's too big for us to handle. We follow the other sheep sometimes. And that can be a bad idea. And there we are, the sheep, naive and vulnerable, huddled for security against the uncertainties of the outside world. Does our shepherd care? You bet he does. He leaves the 99. Where? In the wilderness. So that he can search and go and find that one who has gone astray. What great news. A while back, a mechanical engineer by the name of Ed Adams was buried in an avalanche. A few weeks later, he was buried in an avalanche again. And then a few weeks after that, again. You probably make you think that Ed must be the unluckiest guy in the world. But he's actually an avalanche researcher. And he does that on purpose in Montana. He goes in a small shed on the side of a snowy mountain And then he has his assistants trigger a chain of events that sets off an avalanche. And from inside that raging mountain of snow, he takes measurements so that researchers can predict how and why an avalanche happens in order that other lives may be saved. 
He's been buried alive 20 times. He purposely puts himself at risk so that his work can save the lives of others. I don't know about you, but I'm glad for people like Ed Adams. He's willing to risk his life so that others will be safer. We must be pretty valuable if someone like him is willing to go to, to that kind of length to make life better for us. But that's his job, and he's dedicated to it. And I think that Ed doesn't give it a thought that there's always a possibility that something could go wrong, that they might not get him out of there, might not be able to get him out of there in time, but he does it in spite of that. But listen, here's the gospel. Paul writes in Romans 5, listen to these words. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. And here's the best part. But God proves his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How amazing. You matter so much to the creator of this universe that Jesus gave himself for you. I read about a courageous man. His name was Roger, I'm sorry, Robert Bonades. Everyone called him Bobo. Bobo was the president of Connecticut Parachutists. And as the president of this club, he had conducted thousands of jumps in his life, and he had instructed hundreds of students in skydiving. He had a reputation for giving confidence to even the most afraid students that he had. But in 2002, one of his jumps went horribly wrong. He was jumping with a new student whose name was Cindy Highland. Cindy had successfully completed two jumps but on the third, her ripcord got tangled. And he saw what was happening, and so in order to protect her, he grabbed hold of her and he held on, stabilizing her so she could untangle her, giving her time to untangle her ripcord. He knew that at some point, he would have to let her go in order to save himself. With Bobo's help, Cindy's parachute finally opened but Bobo ran out of time, and he died in the fall. In 2003, the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission named Robert Bonades Bobo as a recipient of their Hero Award. Bobo knew the challenges and the risks of what he was doing. He knew the choice he was being asked to make, and when the time came, he chose to give his own life to save the life of Cindy. What do you do when you understand that someone has given his or her life to save you? Do you take it for granted? Do you say, oh, um, that, that was nice. I'm really glad they did that. What I do with my life now doesn't really matter. Or do you get alone for a few minutes and reflect Lift your face toward heaven and say, Lord, 
I never thought my life was worth that much, that someone would die for me, help me somehow to be worthy of that sacrifice that was made so that I might live. How much does God love us? So much that when we go astray, he leaves the 99 to look for us. Where does he leave them? He leaves them in the wilderness to find that one sheep that has gone astray. Oh, how very, very much God must love each one of us. Amen.